0: Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast wishing its adult life would just go three years without a financial crisis. My name's Corey Hazel, and my partner in propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hi, Corey. Now, a few banks have started collapsing recently. Why is that happening? And are we in 2008 all over again? started collapsing the app named silicon valley bank now it's not not obvious from the name what that's a bank for so could you just maybe briefly explain maybe what silicon valley bank is all about
1: sure thing i mean the silicon valley bank was created effectively as a bank for you guessed it the silicon valley the san francisco area the bay area california all the way through um but it kind of like all of these things do grow went into different areas and things like that. I think it has like a, a UK presence as well, but not a particularly big one. Um but yeah so Silicon Valley Bank or for purposes of this moving forward SVB because that's a mouthful to say every single time. Um, SVB were uh you know just every other bank going around doing their thing but they they basically had a core uh, audience and customer base of silicon valley tech companies not particularly surprising when, when you consider who they're, what they're named and how they are, and this sort of area they were they they were founded in the issue that they basically had though was that tech companies are notorious for basically not having a lot of like a better term savings like they don't have money sat in the bank account they just have a lot of money coming in and going out like they just spend it and then they pay to get paid, and then they spend it again, and it's just a constant churn, which is fine a lot of the time as long as the bank is liquid enough to be able to do uh, to be able to pay out for everybody. Now the problem SVB had is due to a decision to effectively just put all their eggs, I suppose, in one basket, they made a conservative, quite conservative decision to basically buy up, I think it was American-backed bonds which is, you know, actually a, a reasonable thing that a lot of places do, and it's not an unheard of thing. And in fact, it's something that a lot of banks have been doing all over the world. The problem is, uh, as a result of the uh, interest rates going up, the value of the bonds that they had purchased have been going down. So they're now in a position where if they sell those bonds to get liquidity into the business, They are making
0: a loss. Can I interrupt you with a a fun fact that uh, from the one? So, one of the we're sort of relying on a lot of Adam Two's articles on this, and his guess was that SVB was taking a billion dollar loss every time interest rates were raised by 25 basis points. And over the last few months, the Fed have raised them by 450 basis points. Oof.
1: Which is a lot of billions. That's a lot of billions. Um, but yeah, so they've gone all in for the, for the most part on these, uh, these bonds and they're now having to sell them uh, at a loss compared to what they bought for them, which is problematic in and of itself from an investment perspective, but even more problematic because it then means you just don't have as much money coming in as you had going out, um, which means when people start withdrawing money, you have to start selling more of them to get just back to where you were before for the same level of liquidity, which then creates a bit of a problem if you're a Silicon Valley business where everybody is constantly withdrawing and moving money around and it's just becoming a a constant churn of of, of money. That then gets made even worse when everybody seems to realise something's going wrong and everybody goes, ah, we should pull our money out right now. Suddenly, that's it. You're done you cannot access the liquidity you need to actually uh, back everybody's assets and and deposits that they've made previously because all of your investments are now worth less what you paid for than what you paid them for originally. So you're just kind of trapped in this nightmarish scenario where you can't actually do anything that you're meant to be doing.
0: And that's essentially, it's an old-fashioned bank run. So if you've watched It's a Wonderful Life, classic Christmas film, then you'll know exactly the kind of bank run we're talking about. So, uh, again, just to take a way, step back and talk about banks, I suppose the point is that uh, a bank never really has, although lots of people save with a bank, but the bank doesn't have the sum total of all the money that all the savers have saved in the bank. It lends, uses the money that is saved with it and lends it in investments. And that works fine as long as no one asks for all their money at the same time. But with SVB, that did happen essentially for the reasons you've said. Yep. Which actually, I, I think, is quite different to 2008, as we'll probably talk about later. That's not... Uh, you, there are more old-fashioned bank runs. to so Northern Rock, we'll talk about later, is a bit of an example. But there, you've got a problem of a massive uh, issue with the financial system. But what I think what's also interesting is you've got this old-fashioned bank run in a very, very modern industry, haven't you? So... So SVB was the 16th biggest bank in America, which doesn't sound like a lot, but I suppose America is quite a big economy, isn't it? So 16th big biggest bank is quite it got quite massive. So during the pandemic, loads, it loads of new tech startups were happening because that's the only way that we were living any of our lives. And so the, the assets it had, so, so then Silicon Valley Bank goes from having about $60 billion worth of deposits by the end of 2019 has $189 billion worth of deposits by the end of 2021.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the thing with most tech companies, especially Silicon Valley style, um, is that they're all backed by venture capitalists. The only money that they have to begin with, normally, is from venture capital, people actively buying into the company. And as you say, as a result of COVID, you've got a lot of these newer tech companies opening up um, and uh, cap- event VCs looking at it and kind of going, oh, actually, this looks like it could be good. We've seen some, you know, disruption happening here, there, everywhere, whatever. We'll throw some money into, into these sorts of companies, which absolutely makes perfect sense from a certain perspective. The problem you've got, and this is very much a, a, a wider issue with how um, tech companies, are, I'd say, are, are funded. They basically want to go from being two guys in a shed to Microsoft overnight or like very, very quickly. And the reality is they, they skip out all the necessary slow growth that a lot of the big kind of like tech companies actually did over time. Like the, like people focus so much about disruptors, like say, I don't know, um, you know, Uber, a good example of this. Like people like Uber massive used massively all over the world, still struggles to make a profit but it's a huge, huge business still. So you're left with this kind of almost unsustainability of, in my opinion, an unsustainability problem for kind of like tech companies that follow that Silicon Valley approach, which in turn um, kind of feeds into this kind of like SVB bank situation because the venture capitalists that are basically you know, they may not be running the day to day of these businesses, but they are definitely involved in running them and massively listened to when it comes to advice and in a lot of ways, quite rightly, but in a lot of ways also probably not necessarily as, as, as positively as they should be, but they're listening, the companies are listening to their VC investors. And the VC investors are saying, ah, this is what you need to do. We went through these sorts of situations or this, that and the other. We know how bad this can get. We need to get this out now. And they're encouraging the uh, the withdrawal of money. They're encouraging all of these sorts of things going wrong uh, effectively for SVB because, the, correctly, it's not their concern how the bank is run. They just need to get their money out um but so they're just left you're just left with a situation where i think adam twos puts it best where he basically says there are a load of bad customers for silicon valley bank which is their own fault because they went after them specifically and indeed they had a load of kind of like commercial decisions that kind of forced those people to work with them so like basically saying if you take a loan from us you have to keep the money in our our bank accounts and things like that which mean actually like it seems like a good idea in the short term but actually, long term, like big brain play, you go, well, no, because then you're not actually, yeah, it you're you're then liable for all of that yourself, even though it's still your, technically your money. And it becomes a very messy picture overall.
0: Yeah. So you've got you, you've got an old fashioned bank run. You've got venture capital doing what venture capital does. You've got a tech sector, which uh, we should do a podcast on, actually, because there's been some problems in the tech center. So. Uh, obviously, Meta I think is getting rid of some staff. Um, basically Google as well. Google as well, yeah. And Meta probably because they're spending four trillion pounds trying to make the metaverse work, even though it shouldn't really be a thing. And so, so, so that's that's SVP, um May it rest in pieces. And essentially, that so that bank collapsed. There was a a, a Fed sort of bailout. They, uh, I think there's a, there's a regulation in America that if you've got deposits above two hundred fifty. There's, there's a sort of cap, isn't there, of $250,000. Yeah. And if you uh, have less than that, you get your money back. If it's not, then you can get it insured, except that 2.7% of SVB's deposits, apparently there, weren't covered by the Fed insurance. So that's just the fun thing, isn't it? Um, but once one bank went, there were other banks that sort of got caught in the crosshairs of this. I suppose so Credit Suisse is the one but before today actually I, I said a few days ago that we should uh record this and back then Credit Suisse was the bank that looked on the brink there's also Deutsche Bank uh, but we'll get to Deutsche Bank in a second but Credit Suisse re- reading it again the Adam 2's stuff on it the, the parallel for me um it felt a bit like Northern Rock so uh for our younger listeners in 2007 before the first of the many great financial crises that have bedeviled steve Mind's adult lives um uh there was a, there was a bank run at, at northern rock and the idea at northern rock originally it was a building society small building alone a bit like a building alone company that sort of james again going back to its wonderful life that, that james stewart was sort of helping run and so the idea was that it was a a small business that families would invest in and use it to get a by a house essentially and it was then taken by amongst others uh, esteemed times columnist matt ridley and turned into a massive um subprime lending machine that then the wheels fell off in 2007 there's a bit of a run and actually reading some of the adam two stuff on credit suisse it feels a bit like that where adam Too talks about the sort of small um network family networks of Swiss politics that sort of run accounts like Credit Suisse and you just get the impression it was trying to do a little bit too much at the same time it it, it got a bit too big too quickly
1: yeah I mean I think the, the interconnectedness of a load of these banks and the the, the relationships between them and the Kind of like governing bodies not necessarily the governments but the governing bodies like the fed say or or what's the swiss one finma i think it was that that, that kind of like regulates the the, the swiss financial markets um, th- th- there seems to be a very cozy relationship actually between the uh, between the banks and their regulators which is an interest like in a way it makes sense they're going to be working in the same circles looking at the same things they're experts in the same fields like, you would expect there to be relationships. But because you've got this situation where so many of them have been around for so long, like, it just becomes this very weird. Like I think with Credit Suisse, it was literally the case of the guy who who've basically been brought in to deal with Credit Suisse's problem is the old head of UBS who had to basically be bowed out by Credit Suisse previously. Where during the 2008 crisis or or something like that, and it's it's just I feel like incestuous is the is the correct term to use in this little, little small world of finance.
0: It's a proper revolving door of people, isn't it? In the same yeah. way that uh, it felt a bit like a, a, the Premier League, where if a club's in trouble, they always appoint one of a small group of about five or six managers on a short term contract. You know, they, we, we're looking at Credit Suisse, isn't run by Alan Pardew or Alan Kerbishley that's basically what i'm saying um but and i suppose it's also a bit of the sort of regulatory capture isn't it they used to talk about that in the 70s a lot in america when a lot of the stuff the Nixon administration set up like the um uh a lot of the environmental measures that essentially people just started winding and dining the regulator yeah excuse me and therefore the power of the regulator to actually enact stuff was watered down massively um
1: And yeah, that's that's an important part, actually, in terms of like the Silicon Valley Bank stuff is that in a way they created the the rod for their own back because they, under Trump's administration, were actively uh, campaigning to weaken reforms um, that would uh, basically meant they had to go through more stress tests and actually demonstrate that they were, you know, fit and healthy as a bank and and to demonstrate that they were capable of, of doing their job and they campaigned to get that law changed so they didn't have to go through those stress tests. And, well, guess what? The stress tests that would have saved them and got them caught and probably meant they would have been able to resolve this situation before it got to this point didn't happen. And it's all because of their own work.
0: If only, Steve, if only there was evidence from the last 30 or 40 or, dare one say, even 100 years of history that massively deregulating banks has terrible consequences which usually ends up with banks lending money they don't have and can't recoup and ends up in a massive market crash. If only, so if only so there was so evidence so. from 1929 and 1986, and the dot-com boom and the great financial crisis. And ah, um,
1: yeah, That's just all anecdote, all anecdote.
0: Also, Credit Suisse does seem to be one of those banks that wasn't doing well before any of this. So you've got... Uh, so its shares were worse off since 2020 than its peers. And 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 so, if you were going through one of those free market capitalists that they have now, you could maybe say that this is just the case of not very well-run banks being exposed when the tide comes out. Um, But you won't find them on this podcast. The uh, what's been happening today is with Deutsche Bank, which again feels a bit similar in that it's also, uh, I, I believe, the technical economic term is basket case for a while um and its shares are also plunging and everyone doesn't seem terribly conf- confident about what's going to happen and given that people aren't very confident about what's going to happen shall we speculate <laughs> idly uh, <laughs> yeah that,
1: that, so, that is the correct thing to do isn't it
0: okay so it doesn't feel at the moment like it's 2008 So 2008 essentially was uh, you had uh, lots of subprime mortgages in America that were absolutely worthless, but they were valued by various rating agencies as solid gold and dependable. And all of those were bundled up into big collateralized debt obligations or CDOs, and every bank let them to everyone. And so you just ended up with this contagion throughout the entire world's financial system. And basically, if big central banks hadn't intervened and Gordon Brown hadn't saved the world, we'd now just be living in a cave trying to rub together our mobile phones to produce enough heat for fire. Yeah. This doesn't really feel like that's where we are at the moment, does it?
1: No, it, it doesn't. I mean, as, as you say, both um, SVB and Credit Suisse, have, if, if we're using them as the case studies for the current financial environment, Um, you can point to both or within both of their actions like them being the architects in some ways of their own downfall like it doesn't if if, if there is like an, an infection that's kind of happened like moving along from one bank to another it's been much more limited it's not the coronavirus kind of that's airborne drifting into every single institution like the um, subprime mortgages were it's more like a I don't know like a sexually transmitted disease only happening to between people that you come into contact with um I don't know why I use that
0: how do you think banking (laughs) actually works Steve I don't
1: know it's uh (laughs) (laughs) just trying to find a metaphor and then halfway through it I was like yeah this doesn't work but uh, hey I'm I'm committed to that. But yeah, well, they're not. This is what the venture
0: capitalists said.
1: So. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, the venture capitalists know when to pull out. Um, sorry. <laughs> I can get edited out. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dear me. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> let's go back to the start, shall we? <laughs> uh, yeah, both Credit Suisse and SVB, in some degree, are the architects of their own problems. Uh, SVB lobbying, not like to a, to a degree, they just got unlucky, but it was their own business decision that that they made, which kind of led them into their current predicament. And Credit Suisse, as you implied, it's been having problems for a few years. Um, like they brought in a, I think it was a chairman or CEO who then got who wanted to make some radical shakeups, and they got rid of him due
0: to scandal. Um, that was Liz Truss. I don't think that was a. Credit <laughs> <suite>. That was <laughs> it. Was a crazy time, but it, <laughs> I know. Uh,
1: but yeah, so there's lots of uh, so so in those instances you can point to it being a relatively for lack of that term isolated um, incidents. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that we aren't at the start of something else because um, we were we were chatting beforehand and we were like, well, how how long did it take us to get from Northern Rock to uh, you know the first Northern Rock run right the way up to the actual full on like 2008 crash was about a year. So this could, in theory, be the start of something else. But at the moment, it, it doesn't look like it. Um, and again, we, we've talked a lot about Adam Tooze's kind of like writings on this. And if you actually go and look at all of his things on this, it, there's a lot of "Oh, it's been another hectic weekend and another hectic weekend, and these, this weekend's going to be the one that really matters." Type type thing and. They were, you know, two, three, four weeks ago and it's not, the world hasn't ended yet. So it may not be right now, but from the financial markets perspective, we are in a danger of hitting a 2008, but that doesn't mean it couldn't, you know, the the the, the, the we could have just, this could just be the start of the ball rolling down the hill and it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger as it goes
0: yeah so uh, i think the the environment in which we're in is one where people got used to very very low interest rates since 2008 incredibly low interest rates to try and stimulate anyone to just borrow money and spend it for the love of god um which obviously uh george osborne completely ignored and <laughs> just said now just gonna cut everything and not bother investing um but um i think a lot of it is a reaction to raising interest rates that again for most of my adult life were basically zero and now um the fed raised interest rates this week it's they were raised in the uk to i think it was four and a quarter percent this week yep. um and so that means that on the i think you've had a lot of people who are panicking on the back of that and as you say if you're someone like svb and literally your entire assets are in short-term government bonds which are now not profitable that's a massive problem and ironically one of the things that has happened as a result is that because there's more uncertainty can you guess steve what kind of investment banks are turning to <laughs> to try and make sure that they've got some is it bonds
1: it is, is, it it government
0: is government bonds, bonds? yeah
1: yeah
0: it is because government-backed bonds are always safe because the government will always be there and will always pay but what's interesting actually is and I, I'd completely forgotten about it. I mean, we mentioned Liz Trust earlier, um, but one of the reasons why the mini-budget was so horrendously catastrophic is because it did genuinely look at one point like the UK's entire pension system was going to be flushed down the toilet. Yeah. And so, as you say, that 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 didn't happen, obviously because of the sterling, steady hand on the tiller that was quasi quato. Um but but there's been sort of rumbles around for a while, and again, you you mentioned Alan too, who who literally wrote the book on the 2008 crisis. And I think the the what the point that he makes, which I think is is valid, is that we have since the big deregulation of the banking system happened in the 70s and 80s, uh, we've just had a succession of banking financial crises, and solution generally has not been to fix the system really there's been a bit of tinkering on the edges but essentially we're just relying on big central bank interventions so the emergency spending that the fed made in response to the svb stuff that's actually more than in 2008 and it's all concentrated in san francisco and it's not to buy oranges so i think that the problem we have is that we We just don't have a stable banking system. So the the Bernie Sanders argument is always, it's the moral hazard thing, isn't it? That if you bail out these banks, there is no incentive for these people to act with any form of restraint or prudence, which is fair, but it's also just as a government here, let's say a UK government, although they're run the trains are run by private companies, can't really allow a private train line to fail, despite, you know, I know it looks like that's happening, listeners, but I don't think it's deliberate. But just as you, you know, the, the government has to make sure that the trains run on time, usually in a perfect world, the government can't allow people's savings to just disappear because yeah. that would lead to absolute mayhem. Yeah, 100%. So, so, so in a way that that's the problem isn't it you, you need to have regulations in place because otherwise you end up in this stupid situation where it's very like you're always going to have to bail out banks in in a situation like this so you, you need to sort of stop the problem at source
1: yeah f- fundamentally this kind of goes to, to one of my little bugbears when it comes to um, businesses is it, it's the concept of limited liability now obviously when you're dealing with international corporations and and things like that um like banks it's it, it gets a very confusing as to, who owns quote-unquote the bank and who is liable for its actions decision making etc cetera, etc cetera. but with a with a limit with limited liability as a, as a prospect it basically means that the individuals who run the business aren't liable for the debt or the issues or problems necessarily of the uh, of the business that they they own and operate which is done basically to encourage people to actually start their own business etc cetera, etc cetera. in a lot of ways it's very very good and very useful the problem you get is and this goes back to that conversation about that revolving door that we were having if you've got people who can screw up over here and it not necessarily really affect them in any way and they can get another job over there because they know their mates with the with, with somebody over there already they don't see any negative impacts to their lives which means you're quite correct we can't let these organizations kind of like collapse or fail because the actual um, domino effect of that would be massive but the individuals who are running it are getting off scot-free potentially with with and, and not actually being held accountable in any form for their um for the decisions that they've made now in this instance i'm not saying like the other guys from svb or credit Suisse or or, or whatever are you know they've, they've been making morally dubious decisions whatever like that's 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 kind of not the point but they can walk away from this, and they're absolutely yeah. fine because they're a part of that. The, I think two's called it the true bourgeoisie, like the actual kind of like proper um, guys with all of the money in the world. And it's yeah, they're they're fine, Jack. So they don't need to worry about anything else. And that's where the issue comes. Um, I might sound a bit a bit like the um, oh god. Hold on, like the occupy wall street types um here but there, there does need to be something i think one of the big issues that governments have in in terms of regulating this sort of conduct is that there's no current means to hold them hold individuals or companies like that to account in that way because they are too big to fail therefore they can get away with a hell of a lot
0: with with gdps bigger than governments and and again so you talk about limited liability and you know if it what if you're going to start getting rid of concepts like limited liability you're basically taking a lump hammer to modern capitalism
1: yeah absolutely Um, like and 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 as i said like limited liability in a lot of instances is a really good idea it's not actually a a, a bad idea to 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 have it and make it so that the debt of a business is separate to the debt of a person The problem you've got is that at the higher levels it gets so murky is that it avoids like any accountability actually happening at all because they're not responsible for the business, even though it was their decisions, it was their thing, but they're not seeing any actual downsides to it.
0: Yeah. So it was a concept invented by Adam Smith, wasn't it? uh, Feel that was Adam Smith probably invented it or at least probably popularized it. Essentially, so that you and I could set up a business and sell herring and do that without you know losing all our, our and actually means that you can that like, st- strangers can invest in our business and make it grow. And it's one of the things that humans are quite good at is cooperation yeah. and specifically cooperating with people we don't know and might not meet face to face. And a limited liability company is one way of doing that. But again, if you're a small herring cooperative in the 18th century that's one thing if you're a massive bank bigger with a bigger gdp than a lot of countries who know uh, with you know again 189 billion dollars of investment that's that's a lot of dollars and you can't be allowed to fail and i think what so we were also talking about the implications because we're basically parochial at heart are the implications for the uk as part of this and uh, one of the things that you said I think is was, was pretty interesting that in, in terms of the, the, the Conservatives, their only real uh, financial play at the moment really is austerity. And we will talk about the budget at some point on, on, a, on a slightly different podcast. But it also strikes me that you, you look at someone like Rishi Sunak, who made his money in hedge funds. That's exactly the kind of person who is more likely to be a venture capitalist, sort of investing in his tech startups than actually trying to do anything that might be useful and productive in the economy.
1: Yeah, there's a reason he had a green card for the United States, and, and that's very much it.
0: Um, Is it so that but, he can invite Joe Biden to his house? Oh, that's obviously, spot.
1: yeah. Yeah, it's good, good for the special relationship. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the conservatives in particular do have a bit of a problem in that you know you go back, um, even like even go back to like you know mid two thousands, like there were people in the Conservative Party who were, we might disagree with them, but they were thinkers. They were actively trying to come up with interesting things, looking at problems, whatever, you know, Carswell, Hannon, even Cameron, um, uh, with, with big society concepts and things like that. There were people out who were actively searching to try and find solutions that were conservative solutions to problems, but solutions nonetheless. May not have worked, but that's a separate argument.
0: And then Brexit drove them all mad
1: exactly but they don't have anybody doing that now and part of that's just they've been in government so long that you've, you you need to be you can't really do that sort of stuff when you're in power it's just very hard to do um they've removed a lot of the wing that might have been more inclined to do that sort of stuff anyway as a result of Brexit um and so they're just left with a load of people who don't necessarily have what I would, I would describe it as the analytical skills or the critical thinking capability really to kind of delve into that sort of you know financial reform thing, uh, area and as a result if something does go wrong I don't know how they, they can react like the the it's going to be so it would be so interesting because like let's say we have it does take a year to to do something or it does take a year for something to to kind of like snowball in terms of a financial situation how do they respond well they've been telling us we don't have any money so we can't do that can't spend anymore because we've spent so much during covid or we can't do austerity anymore because there's nothing left to cut so and already like they're having to kind of like at least acknowledge that they do need to spend money in some areas in order to actually make it look like it's worthwhile of a voting conservative and so they're left with a kind of between a rock and a hard place where they got where they don't have any kind of actual interesting thought around ah this is how we can do International cooperation to resolve this, or this is how we can reform our own laws in certain certain ways to prevent X, Y, Z from happening. We're just going to end up with uh, an incredibly reactive and not very well thought out strategy in response. Um, and that, I think, for Britain, is really the the main danger. Like, we don't have Gordon Brown in charge anymore, who you know, for all his faults, was a, like in the, in in terms of politics and in intellects and the economics, was a heavyweight. Um, like, I don't think there's anybody in parliament really with that kind of heft for financial stuff.
0: Well, Rachel Reeves,
1: yeah, I I wouldn't like Reeves is good, I wouldn't necessarily put her on the same level as Brown, but again, that could just be virtue of Brown was chancellor for god knows how many, how long, and, and prime minister and things like that. Um, but there's not many, there's definitely not many individuals that you certainly on the Tory benches that you could say these are the people that could. Steer
0: through a, a a potential catastrophe. Well, well no. Well, I, I, I think not to um, give a quick preview, maybe about what our post-budget podcasts are going to end up looking like. But you've got so in Britain anyway that you've got, a, a, as we sort of hinted before, austerity cut investment, which has massively hit productivity, and you, you've got a lack of government investment historically, but also because of Tory cuts. But you've also got the political instability over Brexit and the leaving of the UK of its main financial market means you've got less business investment as well. So Sunak will stand up and say that businesses need to invest more. But again, it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation where businesses aren't going to invest in productivity while the UK seems like such a a basket case. It could well be, you know, give it six or eight months, and actually, we haven't had five more chancellors that maybe it picks up a bit. And obviously, the Windsor framework is starting to find technocratic solutions to some of these problems. But um as you say, it's it the budget's a lot of tinkering around the edges, it's not changing the structures of the economy that is needed, really. Yeah. And um If given where we are in the global situation, if there is a need to put in some global frameworks in place, like there was in two thousand eight, I don't necessarily see the world as being in the kind of situation that you could have any agreement on that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's all going to be a a very messy, messy situation. Yeah, let's just hope for the best, really, and that that we don't need to be be seen through it because. I don't think it'll end well if
0: we do. Well, there we go. Well, and uh, if we're not careful, we'll end up talking about things we should talk about on six of the podcasts. So <laughs> we might have a bit of time to record a quick 10 minute for Patreon, maybe, about, about Boris Johnson. Do you remember Boris Johnson, Steve?
1: Oh, uh, I do remember Boris Johnson.
0: So it is reasonably necessary for work purposes for us to talk about Boris Johnson.
1: Oh, uh, do so we have to?
0: Yes, uh, because the good people of uh, of our Patreon page uh, give us a few pounds every month, don't they? To, they do. Uh, and if you wanted to hear what Steve doesn't want to talk about Boris Johnson, where go could you go? Pa-
1: you could go to patreon.com slash not enough champagne where for a few pounds every month you can get access to me having to listen to talk, Corey talk about Boris Johnson and him force me to engage in remembering that he exists.
0: Remember that I exist. Well, that's a, that's a cruel, cruel punishment. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I met even Johnson, but <laughs> even by our own standards, uh, our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash not no champagne. Our Twitter handles at no champagne pod. James Cram designed the logo. You can follow him on Twitter at james cram. And Dave Depper composed our theme tune for "Good Times." I'm at paperback writer. I'm at Acoustic Radical. Happy plotting.